such a joy to gather this morning and to worship together. Michael, those were absolutely amazing songs, my friend. Thank you. I think we could have just carried on worshiping for ages, but I do know we need to get to the Word. And I think why I was so moved this morning is um, there are approximately 8 point something billion people that are alive on the planet at this moment. And I think there's about 2.1 or 2.5 billion of those that are believers, they would call themselves, but there's a whole number of them that don't know who Jesus is. And it's up to men and women that are in this room and people that are gathered in churches around the world. You and I have been called, like the end of that video, to go and make disciples of all nations. You and I have the privilege of taking the life that each of one of us have received and sending it and shining it out in order that those that are far from Jesus might come to know him and begin walking with him. So that's why I'm so emotional this morning. I thought one of the lyrics of that song said it perfectly. I give my whole life to honor this love. I give my whole life. A few preachers ago, I asked the question at the end of my preach, and this has got nothing to do with my notes, but um, how would you like to make it to heaven one day? Would you look like a preem, like appearance, like your suit buttoned up, looking good as if you're going to some fancy dress, or would you look like a soldier? A few bruises, battered, tired, maybe crawling into heaven. How is it that you'd like to make it into heaven? I don't know about you, but I want to spend my life making Jesus known. I want to spend my life getting to know him and showing others around me who this beautiful Savior is, the reason for my very existence. And so it is a privilege this morning, Red Point, I'm getting to my notes, to be continuing our series through the book of 1 Peter. And I think kind of what's happened already this morning is leading in to my message. But um, as I kept reading this passage over and over again in my preparation, I think I was reminded once again that how you and I live our lives as believers is so important. I think there are far too many, for those of you that have heard me preach before, I love the word disciples instead of Christians. Christians is in the Bible, but disciple is there more. And I think the difference is that Christians are people that attend church on Sunday, but do whatever the heck they want to do during the week. But those that are disciples are those that have brought their lives, their wills, everything that encompasses their whole lives and their beings and everything that God has given them. They bring that under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. And so that's why we, this morning, as we even sang those songs, I said, because of the price that he paid for me, I want to spend all of my days being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And that means my every day, we only get to spend two and a half, three hours here during uh, the week, but the rest of our time is spent at home, it's spent in the workspace. And so our, um, what we do and how we do what we do matters to the king and his kingdom. I think sometimes we live our lives, we come on Sunday, we can put on a show, we can raise our hands, hallelujah, praise you, brother, and we go home, and our lives actually aren't changed. But God's desire is that we would come in here, we would be encouraged, we would worship together, we would sit under the word, we would be encouraged, and then we would go out and apply the things that we have been taught on Sunday. And so as you go to work on Monday, I trust that some of these things will be applicable to you and your lives. As you go home, even in your homes, I trust that this word would come to bear and shine a light in what's happening in each of our homes. 
And so my trust this morning is that there is a greater awakening in our hearts that our lives matter. The other six days that we spend in the world matter to Jesus. It matters greatly. And the question I'd like to, for us to ask this morning as I go through my preach is how am I as a witness of Christ to the world that is around me? If you were just to take a moment to think about that, how am I as a witness of Christ to those that are in the world around me, those that are dying, those that are far from Jesus, how am I as a witness? And in my mind, I was, I was telling Chris, I was um, thinking of the show that they used to play a long time ago, it's called Law and Order, and I pictured something like that. And if the subject or the matter that was at hand was whether you are a believer, and so we would call some of your family members and we'd call some of your friends and we'd call some of your colleagues and we'd put them on the stand and we would ask them, please give us evidence that this person, dot, 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 whoever you, whatever your name is, is this person a believer? They'd start to tell stories of, I've seen them in this place and in this situation, and they would then give witness as to whether they believe or not. And at the end of all of those proceedings, the jury would come out and the judge would ask, what say you? And the trust is that the jury would get up and say, it is undeniable that this person is a son or daughter of the Most High. And if the judge was to ask, well, how? How do you know that? They would then go on and say, well, I've seen how they've managed and dealt with stressful situations. I've seen that there's been a change in how they spend their finances. Their finances were spent on accumulating all sorts of things, but now their finances are spent pouring things into the kingdom. They're sponsoring people to go to youth camp or to go to Zim. They're giving money towards a generator because that's what we need at the moment. The way that they're living their lives is, is so different. It is so evident to us. And the ask this morning, as I go through, as we go through the text, in your mind, would you keep asking yourself, how am I as a witness of Jesus Christ to the world that is dying around me. I trust that it would be clear. I trust that it would be obvious. It would be evident by the way that you and I live our lives. And so let's go through to the text, 1 Peter 2, and we're going to go from verse 11 all the way to 25, but we're just going to go bit by bit. And unfortunately, I don't have time to go into all the detail that I can, but there's a few verses that I do want to highlight to us. And so 1 Peter 2, excuse me, <clears throat> 1 Peter 2 from verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may speak against us. Uh, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, what happens is when you and I surrender our lives, when Jesus has revealed himself to us and you and I realize that we are desperately in need of a savior and we go through that process of surrendering and giving our lives over to Jesus, bringing our lives under his rule and his reign, there's a few things that begin to change. I love in the book of Ephesians, uh, P, uh, Peter, Peter and Paul, the whole time I keep saying Paul, but I am referring to Paul in this instance. But um, uh, in Ephesians 4, it says this, He's speaking, now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk in, sorry, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. See, before we receive this new life, each one of us were walking like Gentiles in the futility of our own minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Oh, my nose. Sorry, guys. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. 
But then he skips down. He says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And so one of the things that begin to change is I used to live like this. These are the sort of things that I used to give my life and my time and my effort and my energies to. But as I receive Christ, as my life is being changed, as as the salvation of Christ is taking effect in my life, what happens is that I'm removing the old self and I'm putting on the new self and I'm starting to look like Christ. It's one of the changes that takes place. Another one of the changes is our final destination, if I can put it that way, changes as well. Our final location where we'll end up changed. We're no longer just living for the joy of this earth and everything that happens on this side of eternity, but no, 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 we're now looking forward to when we get to see Jesus, when we've crossed the line to the other side. Those are the things that begin to change. In this instance, these people are no longer just individuals. He calls them sojourners and exiles. And that simply means that the planet Earth, the place where they are, is no longer their home. And so for the believers, for you and I, this place is no longer our home. If we've accepted Jesus Christ, this is not the be-all and end-all. Actually, there is another address that we are longing for in our hearts. I'm no longer worried about all of the material things that are in and around you. I'm actually more worried about where I end up one day. Other translations speak and use the word pilgrim. A pilgrim is one who is a traveler. He's a visitor, somebody who stops by temporarily but is on the move. In other words, you are in transit. For those that know me, I like to travel a fair amount, apparently. And uh, relax, Dave. (laughs) There you are. And uh, I do like to travel. And uh, in my travels to the States, I've gone via the UK and then back down. I've got to stop off somewhere and they've got to pick up more passengers, refill, do whatever it is that they do. But it would be silly for me to take all of my luggage and if I've got um, clothes for the beach, to start putting on all my clothes and my slops and my towel. And in the middle of the airport, I pull up my towel and I pretend like I'm sunbathing in the middle of the airport. It would be silly. It would be dumb to do that because that's not the appropriate place. But I'm on transit. I'm en route. Yes, I've got to stop off there. There's a reason for me being there, but I'm en route to another destination, and I'd rather get to the U.S. rather than the U.K. if it was my choice, obviously. But that's like you and me. We're in transit. We are no longer, this is no longer our home. We're just those that are passing through. There is a task that we need to do and fulfill here while we are here. But actually, our vision should be man until we see him one day face to face. It's those things that should take our minds. And so Peter's informing them here. He starts off like it. He's informing them. He's saying, you guys are now citizens of another kingdom. You are now ruled and governed by another. You are no longer ruled and governed by this kingdom, but you're ruled and governed by the kingdom that is above whilst living in this current location. You see, sometimes I think people get saved and they get so heavenly tethered that they are no earthly good. They just spend their times in like this lofty area and they just do all of these mystical, you know, these weird things. And they're like weird individuals. Or sometimes we give our lives to Jesus and we're so earthly tethered. We just love the world. We want to be exactly like the world. Nothing has changed that we are no heavenly good. Heaven doesn't get to dictate to you and I how we should be living our lives. But it should be that we get our instructions from heaven and we so fulfill it here on earth. And so by putting off the old self, the way of the world, the systems of the world, the pleasures, we now put on the new self. And so he calls them sojourners and exiles. You're no longer worried about the things that worried you here. Even in South Africa, there's so many things we could be worried about, the crime and this and that and the next thing. Yes, and there is wisdom that is needed, but that is not on top of my list of concerns. 
My concern should be those that are far from Jesus. I'm not worried about whether Eskom comes on or goes off. Well, in this instance, we are a little worried, but it's fine. We're making the solutions. But that doesn't govern everything that I do, what, whatever happens with Eskom or whatever the government decides. That thing doesn't, doesn't hem me in. No, 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 no. The things that hem me in are from above. And so he says to them, abstain from the passions. Well, what are these passions and why is he telling them to abstain? Well, the simple reason is because you and I were never meant to live following the passions of the flesh, following our own way, determining how we will live our lives and spend our lives. And I think if you look at the world around us at this moment, you will see that it is an absolute mess. And the reason is, is because people are following the passions of the flesh. Everybody's just selfish. It's my will. It's my desire. I'm not worried about everybody else. As long as I'm okay, as long as it's okay in my time, I'm not worried about those that are behind me. I'm not worried about the generations that are to come because that's what happens when you and I follow the passions of the flesh. Sorry. Instead, what were you and I created to do? Nick touched on it last week. We're created to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so something of this morning as we began to worship and exalt him, that's what you and I were created to do. But that worship mustn't only stay here. It mustn't only be a Sunday morning thing and then we go and do whatever it is that we want with our lives. On Monday morning, as we get to work, we are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Because once we were not a people, but now we are a people. We've received mercy. We've received grace from the Father. Jesus Christ gave his very life in order that we could proclaim the excellence. How is it that we can keep quiet? We're looking for every opportunity. And unfortunately, I think there's only these two worlds that we can live in. Either you're living by the flesh and the passions of the things that are driving you, or you are living to proclaim the excellencies of our King. Where would you find yourself this morning? You're either one or the other. There's no middle ground, unfortunately. But I think as a community, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if all of us on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, wherever we are, we're just proclaiming. When people look at our lives, they should be wild and amazed, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because our lives are a sign. They are signaling. They're showing actually there is another. I've given my life to another. The life I live on this earth is not for me, but it's an honor and glory to the one who has won my very heart and my soul. He says to them, abstain from the passions, abstain from this behavior. Why? Because it wages war against your soul. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is after your soul, and he will stop at nothing in order to get you. He will throw absolutely everything in your way and in your path to make sure that you do not surrender your soul to Jesus. Every single one of us, and many in this, in this room have given their lives to Jesus and are surrendering their lives ongoingly to him. What about you this morning? My trust is that the Spirit is doing a work in you saying, Jesus is saying, I want your soul. Come to me. I've given my very life for you. And so he tells him, he says, actually, there is a war going on for your soul. John Piper says this, the reason that these passions of the flesh are so dangerous is because they start to diminish his marvelous light. As you and I are running after all of these things, running after wealth, running after security, all of these things that we think will prop up our lives, what happens is that the light who is Jesus Christ begins to diminish in our lives. He's no longer wondrous. We're no longer looking at him. We're no longer wired because there's all of these little idols that have crept up in our lives. 
He goes on to explain what these passions can be, and I think sometimes they are quite overt and they're obvious. Obviously, we mustn't kill, we mustn't steal, we mustn't slander, we mustn't hatred, all of these things, but sometimes I think they are the little passions that sometimes get us into trouble because we go, oh, no, 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 they're fine. We kind of make excuses for having them, but he goes on to explain what these are, and he says, these can be anything that cause you to no longer be thrilled with the excellencies of him above all other excellencies. And the reason they are waging war against your soul is because it is stripping you of the capacity to do the very thing that God created you to do. And so like has been said from this pulpit many times, actually what happens is that you and I begin to make idols. And those idols can even be good things, things that God has blessed you with, but we turn good things into ultimate things. And slowly but surely, those things that that now sit on the, the throne of our hearts begin to distract us from Jesus. It could be wealth. God has given you the ability to make wealth or to produce wealth. But now you're so busy. You actually don't have time to go to life group. You don't have time to go to prayer but because you must always be making money. Or you're busy looking at the neighbor. He's got a new car, so I need a new vehicle. Or he's got another boat. I need another boat. We spend our time doing these things. And slowly but surely, sometimes we're so unaware because it's so subtle. We're being drawn away by the passions of the flesh. For some, it's their kids. And I know kids these days are a bit of a like a touchy topic because your kids can rule your home. My kids are the be all and end all. We can't come to evening service because it will disrupt the sleeping patterns of my child. Nonsense. Your child will be fine. I mean, I'm semi-okay, so you can only do better is all I'm saying. Your child will be okay. And I was thinking of Chris and Abby, not because I work with him, but I think you guys have set an exceptional example. They come, they bring... It's just I've forgotten the name, the name of your kids yesterday. They bring Samuel, my crony, um, and Anna. Well done, thank you. They bring their two little kids. It's not easy, I'm sure. Abby, most of the time, isn't even in the pre-meeting because she's got to go and feed Anna. And Sam just wants to play the drums. That's what he wants to do. And so Chris is trying to pray, and he's going uppy, uppy, uppy. It isn't easy, I know, but it's so good that they are bringing their kids because one day their kids will learn the value of coming to prayer. That we are a people that gather together, that we sacrifice. Yes, it's not easy, but that's how easily these things creep up into our hearts and then begin to rule and we make decisions by them instead of making decisions based on who he is and what he's called us to. And so how do we abstain from these things? I think just two things, and got a little bit from reading through Peter. The one is to behold, is when we behold him, when we are absolutely lost and captivated by who he is, Red Point Church, he is all beautiful. He has won my heart, and I trust that he has won your heart. But when we behold him, what happens is that all of these things that are fighting for our attention begin to grow thin in their attraction. I'm no longer drawn to those things. I'm no longer, I must, I must. No, 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 I want to put those things aside. Why? Because I just want to spend time in his presence. That's why I love worship, besides the fact that, you know, I'm a musician. I just love to sit in the presence of Jesus. I just love to sit and bring my praise, bring glory and honor to his name. Why? Because this is what we were created to do. And as I begin to grow in that, I find that he puts new desires in me. I no longer want the things of this world. What I want is him. And I love 1 Peter 2 verse 2 to 3 says, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He begins to put new desires in me. I no longer desire the things of old. I no longer desire the things of the flesh. What I desire is him and the pleasing smile of the Father in my life. Oh, you all, look at the time. Okay. Um, 
Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's the reason why I ask the question, how is yours and how is my witness of Christ in the world that is around us? And I believe that this text helps us and answers the question because it gives us the how and the why. How? By our conduct. Your conduct in the workplace is utterly important. How do you conduct yourself? How do you go about, and we'll hopefully get to it a little bit later, but I don't just appear to work. I don't just pitch up at work. I don't just do the bare minimum, even if other people are doing the same around me. I don't just do the bare minimum. No, 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 because that's not how Christ has called me to work. My conduct is so important. So it gives me the how, how I am, and the the other is the why. It's because my witness can cause people to reach out to Jesus. The way that I live my life, the way that I make decisions, the way that I do what I do, the way that I do my job is utterly important because it could cause some to wonder why it is that he works the way that he works. Why is it that he's giving his all? He's not just doing the bare minimum, but he's giving his absolute life. Why is that? It gives us the why and the how. And the problem is that right off the bat, the world, <clears throat> the world's response to us as believers is that we're evildoers, which obviously is not the truth. But I think if you were to look at any hot topic that is happening in our world at the moment, I think if you were to, to look at any of that, and if the world thinks of believers coming into that space, because I think sometimes we can be a bad witness when it comes to this. Because we want a Bible bash, or we don't do it in love, or we don't do it gently. Yes, we bring the truth, but the way that we do it is so important. And so when the world looks at us, they man, go, these oaks are evildoers. But when believers like you and I come and we bring the word of God and his views into those spaces in love, then we won't be called bigots or those that are trying to be controlling or misogynistic or narrow-minded or party pupils. They won't think like that. And that's why our conduct is so good in the world that we live. Sure, I thought that was me. <laughs> wouldn't be surprised and I think the antidote to the world thinking those things those evil thoughts that these Christians these people are evil is the way that you and I conduct ourselves the way that we are at home the way that people see you raising your kids the way that people see you with your spouse the way that people see you in the workspace Unfortunately, believers are always under scrutiny. People are always watching because they're waiting for the minute because they always go, well, you people tell, speak, 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 but you people don't even do or you you don't even follow the commands that you give. You expect us to, but you guys don't. And so every, every day we've got the world that is looking and what will they do? What will they do in this instance? And you and I have the privilege of being an incredible witness as we say, Lord, how does the scripture come to bear in my life and how do I respond in these situations in the workplace? Verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You shall put to silence the ignorance. You and I have been tasked to do that. How is it that we do that? How do we put them to silence? We put them to silence by the good works that you and I do. When they look at your life, when they look at how much you love, when they look at how sacrificial you are, when they look how you go over and above the call of you, they can only but look and go, actually, I was ignorant I just painted them all with the same brush. Yes, there might be some suspect believers in there, but this is a true disciple of Jesus. And I can see it by their conduct, by the way that they act, they live their lives. Let's continue reading. 
submission to authority, verse, uh, verse 13, be subject, to the, uh, sorry, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether, to, um, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance um, of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What Peter does now is uh, he goes on to speak about how you and I, now that we are no longer citizens of this earth, but we are citizens of another kingdom. He says this is how you ought to conduct yourselves when it comes to the authorities that have been placed above you as those who are now free. And so again, how is your witness when it comes to those who have been placed in authority over us? And I think of some of you in this room, I've definitely been in that space where you've had some bosses that are less than great. My boss right now is amazing. I'm just letting you guys know that. <laughs> the Lord. No, I'm kidding. Um, I know that I've had some bosses that really, I was like, "Your Lord, are you sure? What is going on here? And I look back at that stage of my life and I thought, I think sometimes I was a good witness, but I think sometimes I was probably a terrible witness by my attitude, by the way that I responded. And so for each of us, how is it? How is our witness when it comes to those that are in authority over us? I love that the text doesn't say that you should submit to them if they're doing their jobs properly. It doesn't say that only if they're following the protocol and only if they are good managers or good bosses, then you are to submit. It doesn't say any of that. What it calls you and I to do is to submit our lives. It's not predicated on their response. It's not predicated on how they do their jobs. All it is is we look at the Scriptures, and the Scriptures call us to submit our lives. And so because the Scriptures call us to, that's what I want to do, as one who's longing to be a good witness of Christ everywhere I go. Part of the problem is that submission in this day and age has got such a negative connotation, both in the world and in the church as well. And I think part of it is because the, the authority has been abused, where people are lording it, where shepherds or leaders are lording it over their people, or they're bossing them around. No, you must do this, you mustn't do that. They're not bringing the word to the, uh, to the sheep or to the people that are in their congregation. They're bringing their thoughts and their ideas, and they are very heavy-handed. We said often from this pulpit, actually, God calls his people to be free. And part of our role and our task is to keep God's people free. And so it's not to lord it over them. Yes, sometimes we've got to be strong and we've got to lead and we've got to guide and we've got to direct. But we want to, as those that are under the authority of the Father, as little shepherds or under shepherds, we want to help you and we want to help one another in this. And so once you've put off the old self and put on the new self, one of the things that begin to change as we get into the Scriptures and get into the Word is this word submission. We learn what it really and truly means. And I think for the believer, it should be a beautiful word. Because if we look through the Scripture, we see submission all the time. We see Jesus being subject to the Father. We see the Holy Spirit being subject to Jesus. This, this beautiful relationship. And when it works or when it outplays itself in the right way, the way that the Father intended to, there's harmony and there is peace, which is what we long for. It's not what we see sometimes in the moment, even as it says there, that, that the rulers should praise those that do good and punish those that do bad. It's not what we see. But the problem is, is that sometimes I think the world wants the fruit that Jesus gives, but they don't want to do it his way. And so we're longing for the fruit, but we want to do it our way. And we will never get the fruit unless we do it the way that Jesus has instituted.
To subject yourself means that I willingly, I'm not forced, I'm not coerced, nobody has to tell me to do it, no, I do it willingly and I do it voluntarily. I place myself under the authority of another. Oh, yeah, yeah. Romans 13, verse 1, Paul is very strong to the Romans. He says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Full stop. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I don't think he needs to go any further, but he does. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so when we look at Russia and all of the stuff that is going on there, we don't understand. But I know this, if the scriptures are to be believed, is God is the one that has placed them in that place. We don't understand how all of it is going to work out, but we know that the will and the plan of God is out working perfectly. It is God who brings these people. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It's scary. Those who resist authorities, trying to cut the tax man. Now, I don't want to give the tax man all my money, so I'm going to try and make a clever plan so that I don't have to pay all of my taxes. No. The scriptures tell us, give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Whether they're a good Caesar or a bad Caesar, that's not what the point of this is. But as believers, those whose lives have changed, if you long to be a witness, then be a witness in every area of your life. And so I'll bring myself and my finances and how I conduct myself under the rule and reign in order that I am a good witness of Jesus Christ. As I said, this test should not breed fear for the believer and said it's a, it's a statement that should bring surety and security to each one of us. Because it's God who puts them in that place. And if God has put them there, God can remove them. And if God has put them in that place and they're doing things not according to his will, God will sort them out. I think sometimes as believers we look on and we think, how long will they get away with this? They won't get away with it forever. Because the righteous judge who is God, he's going to come. And he will hold every single one of us and them to an account for our actions, which is a very scary thing. Maybe I can make a note while I'm here is that subjecting ourselves to the government doesn't mean we do it every time. Because there are some times when government will put legislation in that goes against the word of God. And so the word of God always trumps everything. It's the word of God and everything else. And so if the word of God and what the government wants us to do are clashing, we always put the word of God first. The word of God comes before all of our cultures, and cultures are an amazing and a beautiful thing and a gift from God himself. We are to celebrate. I love this community because it's so diverse. There's people from many different cultures that are in this room. We are to celebrate one another. We are to love and enjoy each other's cultures. But our cultures are subservient to the word of God where our culture starts to dictate what we should be doing. And if it goes against the word of God, we've got to put our cultures aside. Our culture goes, um, I mean, uh, the scriptures are to trump the way that we were brought up. Maybe some of the practices in your family, the things that you've done. And now that you've come to know Christ, you're going, that's not the way that we should live. That's not what the Bible tells me. Well, then that then becomes subservient to the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures trump everything. We look at Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were told there was an idol that was put up of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were told, when you hear the music, you must bow down to the statue. They said, we will not bow down. Why? Because it goes against the will of God. 
You look at the disciples in Acts 5, and they're being persecuted because they're preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ. They get taken again. They get beaten, and they get brought uh, in front of the religious leaders, and they say, you must not speak of Jesus. Their response is, we can't do anything but. We must proclaim who he is. Verse 16. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You made your darkness tremble says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Paul reminds the scattered group of believers of the freedom that is purchased for them through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, like Paul does, I want to remind you, I want to tell you if you've never heard that there is freedom for you. That Jesus Christ has paid the highest price. Peter gets to it at the end of this text. And so there's an invitation for you. As, Paul, as Peter reminds these believers, actually there's freedom for you. Before I came to know Christ, I was not living. I thought I might have been living in freedom, but I was not. It's only after I received him, I received true freedom. And so he reminds them of that. The text starts off by saying, live free. How do we live free? We live free by becoming servants of our God. That is true freedom. The world will tell us, no, true freedom is when you make your own decisions, do whatever it is that you want to do. You must buy this, you must go there, you must do all of these things. No, Red Point Church, I want to say, and its visitors, that if you want true freedom, if you want true life, bring your life under the submission of Christ. That's where you will find. The scriptures tell us that I've come to bring life and life to the full. Life to the full is not found in making your own decisions. It's found when we bring our lives under his rule and his reign. It's this upside down kingdom that we will see all the way through the text. I love Mark 9, 35. Jesus tells his disciples, says, if you want to be first, then you must be last and the servant of all. It's countercultural. Matthew 16, verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For those of you that are lost, for those of you that have not found life, you need to lose it. Lose it to Christ. Lose it to the King and His kingdom in order that you might find it. Oh, we've got plenty of time. Here I am so stressed. Please. Anyway, uh, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. I love that. Honor everyone. It's to esteem one greatly. That's what it means. And sometimes I think in the world that we live in, we honor the CEO, we honor people that have got a position of prominence and they've got weight and all of these things, but we dishonor those that are around us. I must say to my shame, Sometimes when I'm at the robot and somebody's coming and asking for something, I just want to look away. Like, I don't know if any of you have done that. It might just be me. Or you want to pretend like you're busy with something. You pick up your phone and you pretend like they're not even there. I don't know how Jesus would respond in that instance. Am I honoring them? Yes, I might not have money or food or whatever it is, but I can at least engage with them. I want to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. I love that. Love the brotherhood. That's the believers. That's the saints. Those that have given their lives to Jesus. Members of the house. Jesus says, this is how they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. And I'm, I'm sad to say, I think in the body today, there's so many people, there's, there's so many fractures in relationships. People hate one another. 
People don't want to forgive. One will sit on this side and one will sit on that side. I'm not talking to any of you guys on the sides. But that's what happens. They, they don't want to talk to each other. They're holding grudges. That's not the way of Christ. That is walking with the old self. But the new self says, no, I must go and reconcile. Not only for my sake, not only for their sake, but for the sake of the world and those that are watching. Fear God. Fearing God is not out of, he's going to hit me because I've done something wrong. No, fear out of reverence. I fear out of reverence. I know who he is. He is my maker. I'm not scared to come into his presence. If I've made a mess up and I've done something silly, I'm not scared to come back. Yes, I come with humility and say, Lord, please forgive me once again. But it's not like the master is going to give me a hiding if I do something wrong. I want to come humbly into his courts. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And uh, for Paul, he was writing in a time where physical slavery was a thing. I know people often ask, why didn't they write into this? And that's a whole long train of thought that I won't get into. But he writes into it because it was prevalent in the Roman Empire. And so he writes to them. And in his writing to them, he doesn't condone it. He doesn't say, no, this is right. There should be slaves. There should be masters. No, no, no. What he's doing is he's writing them and saying, as those that are now sojourners, those that are pilgrims, those whose home is no longer here, you now need to act differently when you go back and you are working for your master. There is a new way that you are to conduct yourself. You're not to conduct yourself as those who have still got the old flesh. You are to conduct yourself in a new way. But for you and I today, I think there's a broader relational application to this text. Those that are in the business sphere, students and teachers, parents and kids. And I love Peter again. He, he, he doesn't make a differentiation. He just says, actually, whether they're good and gentle whether they're evil or unjust, still you and I are to bring our lives under their submission. We are to be subject to each of them. I remember hearing a stat, somebody said, and I would assume that it's right, but somebody said that by the time you are 70, you would have worked for 20 years nonstop, which is a lot of time that you spend in the workspace. And for those, you and I, that are longing to be a witness, to apply the scriptures and to apply this text that we are even looking at, if we want to be a good witness for the king and his kingdom, it means the workplace then becomes a stage that unfolds the grace of God's love and kindness to unbelievers. As you and I let our light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The workspace, everything that we do becomes a stage in order that people are looking on and they're wowed and mesmerized by the goodness of God, not because of who I am, but because of who lives in me. I think each of us need a good theology on vocation because if you've got a good theology on vocation, I think it greatly influences how it is that you do what you do. I don't just rock up. I don't just arrive at work willy-nilly. No, no, no. I want to give of myself I want to give of myself. I want to do my work to the best of my ability. Whether my boss thanks me or doesn't thank me, that's not the point. But I want to give myself 110% to the job, to the place where God has placed me. Let's carry on reading. He says, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow for a little while unjustly. For what credit is it to you if you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? 
But if you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, the, uh, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were, um, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Mikey, can I ask you and the band to come up and I'm going to try and bring this to a land. Actually, the way that we endure, the way that we, when, when there's unjust happening in our workspaces, all of those things are a witness, as I've mentioned, for the sake of Jesus. So what good is it if you endure all of this hardship, but you've done something wrong? Obviously, you're like anybody. But what he's calling us is even when uh, things have been done well and you're unjustly treated, actually, you continue to be a good example to those who are around you. And then he brings it to an end. He lands, he quotes, I think it's Isaiah 53, I think it is. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. I think these last few verses are the gospel of Christ the beautiful gospel of Jesus. And I love how Paul lands this in Jesus. I think this is the key that brings it all together. Paul, I mean, Peter cannot end this chapter. He cannot end his encouragement without talking about Jesus. And as I was thinking this morning, I was like, how many of our conversations are littered with Jesus? It's just Jesus. Just We can't help ourselves. Wherever we are, in the workspace, the people packing our groceries, whatever it is that we're doing, Jesus is just coming up. Peter could not end this, saying, I must tell you about Jesus. I bore witness, first-hand accounts of how he lived out these things. And so he speaks as a witness. He's encouraging his believers. Can I ask us to stand? I think one of the beautiful things of Peter ending this in Jesus is that outside of Jesus, actually you and I cannot live this out. Outside of Jesus, there is no way that we would be able to faithfully walk out what he's asking us to do here, outside of Jesus. And maybe with our eyes closed, maybe there are some that don't know who Jesus is. You've been searching, you've been knocking, you've been asking, looking for answers but you don't know who Jesus is. And this morning there is a moment and there is an occasion where you can come to know this beautiful Jesus that bore our sins upon a cross, taking the punishment that belonged to you and to me upon himself, bestowing unto us righteousness where we should have been judged, where we, we should have been beaten, where rightfully we deserve death. He comes and he brings us life. And so if that's you this morning, won't you just slip up your hand? It's not for me. I'm not going to draw this out, but if there's something in you that goes, man, I want to know who this Jesus is. I don't want to finish the message without giving you an opportunity to surrender your life. So you can just slip up your hand quickly. If that's you, if you're here. Thank you. 
You're saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you're an angry person. You're always angry. You always get upset. Maybe you're just always moaning. You're always grumbling. You're always complaining. You're like, I need the Prince of Peace to come into my heart. Just a moment longer. Anybody else? Jesus, thank you that you're working. Thank you that you're working, Lord. Thank you that you're moving, Lord. Thank you that you're drawing us to yourself. Even this morning as I've spoken, I trust that you've awakened something in our hearts that says, man, I want to be a witness of Jesus. I want to live as a disciple. I don't want to just be a Christian. I don't want to just attend church. But I want my life to be different and I want my life to count. And for the person that put up their hand or two, can we actually all say this prayer? Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want to thank you this morning that you gave your very life for me. God the Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for sending your precious son in order that he would take the sins that I've committed, the sins of the world, upon himself and give me his righteousness. And now I stand as one who is clean. Thank you that when you look at me, God the Father, you look at me through the lens of Jesus. Thank you for the blood. In your wonderful name. Franz, I can hand back to you. Amen. Thank you, Tula. Thank you, everyone. So we are going to be participating in some communion this morning, as you can see, beautifully set out here. And I just thought this, even as tools are shared and this text, sort of beautifully lands us in this. And in case you are new and you don't know what communion is all about, communion is a meal that we participate in as a church, as a body of Christ, and just celebrating what Jesus did for us. The grape juice that we've had got here is red, as it symbolizes the blood of Jesus that is shed for us. And the bread is symbolizing his body that is broken for us, um, that is poured out for us, his life poured out for us so that, so that we can live a life of abundance in him and so that we can have a relationship with him. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to participate in that. And it just finishes so beautifully saying, when they hold insults at him, so even for us to apply these things that we've been taught here this morning and what God has been putting into our lives through the book of Peter gets application here because we see the example of Jesus. And when we participate here, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. And not only did he do it for us, but through it, he enabled us to have a relationship with the Father through his spirit to be empowered to actually do it ourselves. And so the submission, everything that we've been taught actually is anchored in the fact of what Jesus did for us. And we can celebrate that and apply it to our lives. And so as these symbols become part of your life, so receive the enabling power of Christ to live out these things that we've been commissioned to do. It says instead of, um, sorry, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed. So even today, receive healing. Receive healing physically, but also emotionally and everything else that is required. Where there's a lack within you, this morning we have said that the, the, the word that has come is that God wants to bring life to those dead bones, will want to bring. And those are all areas in your life that is not productive or areas that it's actually caused that there's a lack, that there can be an abundance and overflowing. So receive it. For you were like sheep have gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So I'm going to invite you to share in this, but be first going to be singing the song to close the meeting on that. But then afterwards, please come individually, but also as families and share in this. And as you do that, let it be in remembrance of Christ has done for us. So Lord, we, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the fullness and the richness of your word. Thank you for the power that can be received in our inner beings through us just receiving the authority of your word, sitting under it, listening to it, taking it on, even though at times it can be sort of sword or a, 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 sort of like a prodding or a prodding in, in, in uh, areas that is not comfortable when we listen to these things of submission. But it is, it is in the way that you empower us for your glory, God. It is the way and we do this in the way that that would cause your fame to, to rise, Lord, and for your glory to cover the earth. And so we do it willingly, even though it can be tough. We do it because we love you. And so now, God, we, we thank you for even the opportunity to participate here. And we, we pray that the truth of it all will set us free, Lord, that the truth of it all will cause us to live lives of abundance, overflowing, with you showing righteousness and as a result causing your kingdom to advance in our lives and through our lives all around. So we bless you, Jesus. We want to sing this song now, God, and say we want you to captivate every single aspect of our lives. We want you to be our vision, Lord. Be the one who fills us, fills our minds, fills our, our, um, our thoughts, our um, emotional things, Lord, but also our imaginations to just live in that space where you want us to be.